Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block. The show is being recorded live and will be available soon after it ends as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Rumble. As always, we invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. We also invite listeners to send any questions, comments, or other feedback about our show to ejsshow at protonmail.com. So once again, good afternoon. We want to welcome Jody back to our show. She was greatly missed last week. And welcome. Hey, Jody. Welcome to everyone. Thanks, guys. Great show last week, by the way. I, I listened to it on my trek to my trade show. Yeah. It was awesome. I, I was going to say EJS show without the J is like a certain person without her pancakes. But I realize I'm not allowed to say that. So I am going to skip that. So therefore, let's jump, let's jump right into non-controversial topics like should Mr. Chauvin have a new trial because of that juror who had to open up his mouth and admit that he was lying about his uh, so-called neutrality. Ed, since you're a lawyer, I'll let you have first licks. Well, let me start by saying, will he get one? I don't think he will get one. Uh, should he get one? I think it's debatable. It's a close call to me. Um, there were definitely issues with the trial that I think showed some unfairness. But I think that the, I'm not a criminal lawyer, but I think the standard is reversible error or, or harm, harm, harmless error versus harmful error. I'm not sure that any of the errors are going to have changed the, the outcome. Uh, the one about the juror who had apparently part, you know, had a, a black Black Lives Matter shirt and went to a rally in support of George Floyd and then lied under oath to the judge. That's probably the, the most egregious thing that if there is a reversal, it would be that one. I think um, my guess is they're not going to go. The, the appellate courts are not going to reverse it on that on that. But, you know, you never know. I mean, there, there were other things. I mean, there's the Maxine Waters thing that everybody knows about. Um, I personally think that uh, the publicizing the settlement that, that, that uh, was made with the Floyd family did a lot of damage to whether he could get a fair, Chauvin could get a fair trial in that county. Um, so I want to focus on the juror a second. Is the yeah. presiding judge allowed to overturn a decision because of a juror or it has to go to another level? No, uh, there's the Chauvin's lawyers filed a motion with that trial judge. In right. fact, it has to, I think it starts with that, that decision would have to start with the trial judge because the appellate court is never going to rule in, in a case of first instance. The, the appellate court is only going to decide whether the trial judge got something right. So they have to first ask the trial judge to reverse it. So he, he legally, even after a case is closed, on his own, he can reverse a decision and call for a new no, trial? Not on his own, but Chauvin's lawyers have already filed a motion to... No, but I mean, if they file the motion, the prosecution files its response, he has a right, even 50 years after a trial, to say, I'm well, throwing sure, that that's the, that's the basis for every trial where exculpatory evidence is turns up later and the defendant says, look, I, you know, I should be exonerated or I should be freed. And he files a motion with the trial judge and the trial judge looks at the new evidence and reverse and, and maybe reverses the conviction or maybe gives him a new trial. Okay. 
And um, hey. do you have any clue of how often that has ever happened when a juror does such a thing like this? I really don't know the answer to that question. Um, I, I personally think that the the standard that most people have for for the level of ignorance a juror is supposed to have is is the wrong standard. Um, I don't think we should be expecting jurors to approach cases with no knowledge of the situation. I think we should only expect them to be able to approach cases where they can be fair and impartial, e even towards evidence that they've already been made aware of. Um, I don't believe any juror who says that he didn't see that video before the trial started. Uh, I mean, I don't know that there's anyone in America who didn't see it, but certainly someone who got called for jury duty in that district would know what that would know that that video because their friends would have said, well, did you hear about the Floyd case? I mean, who in America didn't hear about the Floyd case? But um, th there's no doubt in my mind that every single juror would have perjured himself if that's real, if that's the proper standard. Okay, so and I happen to think you're unusually intelligent. And I know that the, uh, the old joke, what do you call somebody who finished law school with a C minus average? Boy, uh, I don't know that joke. Your Honor. Um, <laughs> but, but even even having said that, are judges that stupid? They know that going in, that nobody's telling the truth about not being aware of the video and stuff like that. Why do they do it? Well, honestly, I, I didn't read the voir dire questions. I don't know what questions were asked of, of the of the witness. I just they, they say it was pretty specific that he said he wasn't prejudice. I think there were questions actually about being involved in Black Lives Matter rallies and stuff like that. So I'm just saying. And that's why I think that that's the that's the most likely uh, avenue for over for for reversal, because he lied about a specific fact like that. OK. And to your knowledge, I know I'm grilling you here because I'm overtired. To your knowledge, is that a criminal act for a juror to lie in that process? Sure. That was my question, too. What are the consequences? He's, he's, it's a perjury violation. He's under oath when he answers questions under voir dire. Do you think he'll be pr prosecuted? By Keith Ellison? No. Ah, it's so disturbing. Because I think he has to pay for that whole trial. I mean, that's really making a joke out of a system with, yeah. with, with, with all of its flaws. This is still ridiculous. I mean, you know, I'm not a big fan of the jury system and this is just a really bad example I mean, this trial caused enough trouble for a whole bunch of people to have to redo so it. If, and why does the guy shoot his mouth off only a couple of weeks after the trial? Why can't he like hold it in a little longer? That's pretty. pretty because that's funny. part of what's going on in our society generally, Steve. They're rubbing our noses in it. This Good goes point. back to Ed P. last week and the um, anarcho tyranny. Was that the word? Anarcho tyranny. Yeah. This. If, yeah, if this were a, a different flavor of, you know, a perjure, it would be prosecuted significantly. Let's be honest. That. If there, if this was a high profile trial of a black man who, who uh, killed a white person, not that there would be a high profile trial of that, but supposing there was and uh, a juror a white juror said, oh yeah, I've been to Proud Boys rallies afterwards when he was specifically said that uh, he wasn't. I mean, it would be, 
it would be thrown out so fast your head would spin. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can give you a better better analogy that's closer to the truth. I mean, suppose one of the jurors had gone to a, you know, to, to a rally in support of Chauvin or in support of the police and there had been an acquittal. There's no doubt yeah. that if that story, if that came out afterwards, there's no doubt in my mind that juror would be prosecuted. Yeah. Right. And then you have the double jeopardy. It's over at that point, right? Uh, good question. Yeah, I think if yeah, you're innocent, you're innocent. So. Yeah, if you're innocent, you're innocent. Right. But if you're guilty, actually for a minute there, I thought you were going to say, can you imagine if one of the jurors would have gone to drum roll January 6th? Yeah. Well, but the other thing is, even if he had been acquitted, we already know that the Justice Department of the Biden administration was ready to arrest him before he even left the courtroom, so. Is that story reliable? I didn't pursue it. Is that reliable? I have no doubt about it. I mean, the Rodney King uh, uh, police officers were prosecuted under civil rights laws after they were acquitted under state law. But that they were actually waiting for him in the courthouse, they would have arrested him for that? Um, I, you know, I haven't independently verified it, but it seems believable enough to me. It was from good sources, though. I like I didn't follow the story since he was convicted. But the I have zero repeated. doubt that it's true. I'm I mean, sorry. I have zero doubt that it's true. Zero doubt that it's true, or that it's not true. No, I, it, it's definitely true. I mean, definitely. in the sense that uh, this, uh, you know, double jeopardy uh, was banned, obviously, but, but was reinstated by the Supreme Court, so that now you can face the federal and state charges essentially for the same crime for the same act the same act for, for the same act by different sovereign. but i mean still it's 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 double jeopardy i mean the founders would have been appalled at it okay uh, they've used that uh, in a large number of uh, of uh, cases um and i why wouldn't they use it on this one especially with the criminals that are in charge of the doj these days so, attorney Ed, you, you agree with Ed P that that is double jeopardy, same act, two different crimes being charged? I wouldn't say it in a blanket sense because I think it's on a fact by fact, case by case basis. It depends on how much overlap the actions have, you know, the, the actions have. But uh, presumptively, I think it's double jeopardy. I, I can see instances where maybe it wouldn't be, but uh, presumptively, I'd say it should be double jeopardy, yes. Well, I mean, we can get into the fact that there's only half a dozen federal crimes that uh, are constitutional to begin with, and you can read them all in the Constitution, piracy and treason and counterfeiting, counterfeiting, uh, uh, copyright uh, stealing and patent stealing, a couple of other things that, you know, that's it. That's it. And can I ask things. you not to set me off since I'm tired and I may not restrain myself well? Now, I was just listening to somebody the other day and he said, was somebody talking about law school and how when you take a con law class, you don't even have to look at the Constitution because the Constitution is whatever they said it was in the last hundred or so years and nobody even cares what it originally said. So I don't know if it's that extreme, but I don't think lawyers really give a hoot about the Constitution. It's what the Supreme Court has said about it. Well, is that limited to lawyers, Steve? I mean, that's really the a summation of where we are as a culture and as a society right now. Right. But I'm saying the problem is even when, you know, when Ed is making this argument that none of the laws are constitutional, it's basically the lawyers that are arguing those things in the courts and nobody, 
I don't want to say nobody, very few people seem to care what the Constitution said, because some of us, even not as intelligent as the Eds with us today, believe that the Constitution was written in plain English and it's not all that, dif all that difficult to see what they made into federal crimes. So well, who is it who said to be this crazy, to be this stupid, you got to have a PhD? I don't know if that's like a Thomas Sowell quote or something, but to twist and turn the Constitution the way we have, you need a heck of an well, education. Let me push back on you a little bit, though, Steve and, and Ed. I mean, the 14th Amendment, I think, does authorize civil rights laws. Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. And so if you... Uh, deny, uh, you know, employment or uh, uh, seating at your restaurant to a person based on the race or sex or whatever that that is constitutional based on uh, well, the civil rights law. But uh, I mean, that's, a little, that's actually a little bit different because that's a private party. I mean, we're, I think that the 14th Amendment speaks to to uh, government action. And in fact, the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was based on the Commerce Clause, not the not the Civil Rights Act, uh, 14th Amendment. Oh, but well, then if it was based on the Commerce Clause, it's unconstitutional, too. <clears throat> Fair enough. But we're talking about state action in form of a police officer allegedly attacking someone for his race. Now, there was no evidence of that in the trial. That wasn't alleged in the trial. And what not that there was no evidence. It wasn't alleged. I understand. But that would have been the, that would have been the claim. And I think that that claim is authorized by the Constitution. I would have to think about whether I think that that's double jeopardy. I, I think it is because the basis of the of the discriminatory action was to commit the particular crime. So I think that should be double jeopardy. But you know, it's funny if you uh, buy into Daniel Horowitz and his opinion of masks. So I saw a story about two days ago. I don't remember the exact details, so forgive me. Somebody found in the New Hampshire laws, I believe, something that says you're not allowed to block the free breathing of any child for any reason in a school or something to that effect, making the masks illegal according to their own criminal code. So I guess we're kind of saying that, you know, that's also a civil rights violation and we should be suing all the governments, which I think Daniel Horowitz would love to do for making us an emergency. And not breathe. It's, a, it's an emergency. Yeah. Rights don't matter anymore. At that point. Well, that, that's the, the answer to all this, but some of us don't agree with that, obviously. <laughs> so with no further ado, since we're talking about trials and stuff, we can talk about the Dinesh article so I think most people are familiar with Dinesh D'Souza. Um, many of us would agree that he himself was a victim of the double standard because he, he actually served time, um, not together with, but I guess parallel to Martha Stewart for crimes that people usually get away with. But he apparently has written an article calling for abolishing the FBI. And it's interesting because if I remember the article, he seems to say the FBI has gotten really, really bad lately with Comey and Ray and all these other people. But I seem to remember there was an FBI building named after a vacuum cleaner at some point. And the one they named the vacuum cleaner after, he wasn't all that clean either, was he? So was the FBI ever all that pure? I, I Yeah, okay. So it was the Bureau of Investigation. It was started, uh, you know, a long time ago during... Um, 
uh, prohibition to, and so that was an illegitimate, I mean, constitutional, but sort of illegitimate start for it. And it became the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And um, they, under Hoover, they did have um, agents with integrity. The whole Elliot Ness thing is, is relatively true. That is, uh, you know, uncorrupt agent. And they weren't particularly political with the exception of being anti-communist. Now, it depends on whether you think the FBI being anti-communist during the 40s and 50s was a good idea or a bad idea. If you think um, it's a bad idea, then, then yeah, they've never been uh, anything but corrupt. But if you think it was a good idea that they were anti-communist, then, um, then I would say they, they had an area that they weren't corrupt. But well, it when does was seem Hoover in charge? From yeah. like 1930, something to like 1960 something some you know huge amount of time right. and it is true that he had all sorts of um you know evidence against congress people and you know people in the administration and whatnot that 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 kept that he kept as uh as uh insurance offering. insurance yes insurance and you know that's obviously wrong i mean it, you know it's it's not i'm not defending that um you're saying the rank and file were not corrupt. Yeah. Well, I don't know that the no, rank I, and file are corrupt now. Uh, well, the ones in this area are. They really are. I mean, you got to, the DC office is, is should be abolished. What I don't about, know. If what about the raid in Alaska? I mean, what, yeah, what the raid would do that? Yeah. Well, it's the same question as, as uh, you know, people have, the Tim Pool has been raising um, lately is that if the police keep abusing, um, the red state people who uh, have a sort of natural affinity for police and law and order by arresting them for these non-law law violations uh, of masks and all, and, you know, keeping their business open and all this other crap, then the police is going to have nobody that support them at all because the left already wants them abolished and now they'll lose the right. I mean, the, the regime still wants them, obviously, but uh, the regime is a very, very small segment of the society. So I think that uh, the FBI is losing the right now to, I mean, I think they lost them with the, um, what they did to Trump and what they did to, um, who's that guy, that Trump advisor, crazy guy, uh, white hair, Stone. old. Roger Stone. Roger Stone. Yeah, they they call they they tipped off CNN and then they arrested this guy and full SWAT regalia at five o'clock in the morning and like he's an old guy. He had been talking to the prosecutors about this for months. Giuliani too. Calmly on his door at nine a.m. and and he would have gone quietly, but they had to do this, uh, you know, crazy SWAT catastrophe with CNN cameras rolling. I mean, I. I you can't see that and not know that they're corrupt and need to be abolished. Okay, like Ed saying the Giuliani raid. I mean, uh, yeah, it's un unfathomable, unfathomable that they would do that. Uh, and and ignoring all the ones they're ignoring, such as Hunter Biden, et cetera, et cetera. But yet, I mean, are there any people in Congress of that are actually really ripping into the FBI? Is anybody making a big deal out of this? Not that I'm aware of. Well, Maybe Devin Nunes was no fan during the Trump-Russia hoax. Um, yeah, Devin Nunes has. He's currently uh, out of Congress, right? 
No, he's still in. Congress. He's, he's back in because he was out, wasn't he? And then he came back in or something. No, no, he was he was still in. He's from California. He, he was always he in. Really okay, like, he got really he was just it thrown was, off the committee. Right, he was thrown off the committees for a while. Oh, that's right. Because he was poking. When he was poking at the rush, a Russian collusion hoax, he was temporarily under ethics investigation. Yeah, but no, he's back and he's back on. The, he's the ranking Republican member on the Intelligence Committee. Right, and we have to bear in mind Chuck Schumer's famous pronouncement that if you mess with the intelligence community, dot dot dot. But I mean, again, is there enough power? And we had the other article in our show notes, which we're kind of always alluding to. Is there still a citizenry? Is there still any sense of we the people that can put any kind of check on a government that's so unbelievably out of control? The FBI thing is really, really scary. Uh -huh. Well, we, I, I think that the, the, the better question is for, for conservatives and people of conservative mind, is there anything left to conserve? And that's a question that I keep seeing popping up in article after article. I know you, you mentioned Daniel Horowitz a little while ago. He's mentioned it. Um, I've seen it in other places too. Um, do we have anything left to conserve or are all of our institutions so taken over by the left and so controlled by the left that we just need to be prepared to fight? And, and I think that a lot of people are starting to ask that question and they're coming to, to different answers depending upon where they are in their thinking. It sure seems that way. I mean, I do think that Dinesh D'Souza, who is a, a kind of run-of-the-mill conservative, I mean, run-of-the-mill conservative, coming out and saying abolish the FBI is a is a huge step forward, right? It's a huge step forward. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely not a libertarian. Step forward in what in what respect, Ed? Well, I mean, the level of red pilledness in the right is variable depending on on who you are, and uh, you know, we were talking earlier about we didn't really think Ben Shapiro ha has any red pill in him at all. And I, I would say that, um, uh, that Dinesh D'Souza is, is really only at the, or was only at the media lies red pill. He hasn't gotten down to the government is fundamentally corrupt red pill, which I think this, this article was like him going, going deeper a level and that the, the intelligence community and the, and the FBI and whatnot are fundamentally corrupt and need to be abolished. So I'm um, good for him. Pretty shocking that him being sent to jail by them wasn't enough to, to wake him up. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was going to say, I mean, it's not just the FBI, it's the CIA, right? They had that strange woke video that they put out this week also. So it, it certainly does seem like all these institutions have become very uh, left-wing. And uh, I'm not sure that we are gonna be able to put that genie back in the bottle. We've had, we, we have a system that's completely, very much centralized. I mean, it's not like states don't have any power left to them, but compared to what we're supposed to have, I mean, we just have a federal government that's out of control, centralized power, actions, uh, both of which lead to tyranny, and that's pretty much where we are. So, it wasn't the head of the CIA an avowed communist? Brennan, yeah, at one time, sure. He was. Uh, yeah, I mean, somebody who couldn't have passed any background check. Brennan was national security advisor. Was he also head of CIA? No, he was, he he was the head of the CIA during the Obama administration. And he claimed that his flirtation with communism was only something back in the 70s, you know, like 
Bernie Sanders, but uh, you know, like fact, like uh, Robert Byrd's flirtation with the KKK. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like that flirtation. That's a good one. Flirtation. The the thing is that it's it. I don't think the CIA or the FBI is necessarily woke. I think this thing was just a virtue signal to the wokeness. The CIA and the FBI are are left of center, definitely left of center, but they're really more agents of the regime. They're agents of the ruling class. And uh, that goes to the Cotevilla argument, uh, article that we were going to discuss. Um, they are the tentacles of the oligarchy. And um, I don't think they're woke. I don't think they're going to uh, go crazy and let, you know, uh, crazy people in to be FBI agents and, uh, um, you know, Trigley Puff is in no danger of becoming an FBI agent, to put it that way. Uh, I mean, are we saying the same thing about Coke and Delta, that they're just uh, agents of the regime? They're not really woke, they just go... <laughs> you know I, mean? I don't think any of these corporations believe any of the nonsense that they've spewed on the wokeness front. I think basically they're doing it all as virtue, virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. um, well, I don't, I don't have the, the facts necessarily, but I think a lot of the CEOs are nowadays, just like you can have a Keith Ellison, you know, running the Justice Department of a state. I think some of these people genuinely are that way. A lot of attorneys general around the country, because Soros puts them all in personally. And I think a lot of CEOs. Well, not only that, I mean, forget not just CEOs, but board members. And you have to remember that you're getting, a, you know, we, you get a revolving door between the upper levels of government and the upper levels of large corporations and yeah, the corporations are the government are the corporations are the government are the banks are the corporations are the government but the right. the idea though is that do like zuckerberg take him he's obviously evil but he, he's stop right there stop right there just take him yeah he's not woke he desperately desperately wants to get out of this position of him having to uh, censor people. He wants the government to regulate the industry, to define rules that he has to follow rather than he have to make up his own mind. He Wait, is, why do you think that? Why do you think he said he's it. that woke? He said it. Yeah, he, but he says, do you really believe him? Yeah, I do, because he was spouting the same I mean, sort of he libertarian said also, stuff. you know, he also said that they don't they're not one-sided in what they do, and they clearly are. I'm just not sure, sure he's they believable. Much, uh, they reaffirmed it for us today when they, they kept the, the ban on Trump. Yeah, I mean, if you... Well, well, not no not one, only that, I mean, you have, you know, we have that, that fact that uh, Elliot shared with us about, um, you know, the CDC director being made the, the CEO of factcheck.org. I mean, perfect example of how you know, this factcheck.org is, is a private company and Facebook and, and these other companies are going to, quote, rely on them. But it's it's a government it's a government bureaucrat that just took that job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and if you go back to the Tim Pool interview with Jack Dorsey of Twitter, Jack Dorsey and his his minion. And if you if you think about that interview, Jack Dorsey has no idea what's going on in his company at all. Zero. The man is absolutely out to lunch. He doesn't know what's going on. And so when Tim Poole was trying to explain to him what was going on, he was like, uh, you know, whether he's stoned or whether it was just completely ignorant. Maybe he wants to pretend that's the case. Maybe I, he just is pretending that's the case. 
I take him and Zuckerberg at face value. They are, uh, first and foremost, they're going to defend their companies. And secondly, they're going to um, uh, keep within the rules that are set by the credit card companies. And so they're going, and, and they desperately want somebody, the government to step in and say, uh, these are the topics on which you will be banned so that they don't have to take the responsibility. They are. Peter Keating's to the nth degree running some of these companies. They're not as evil as somebody like Soros or Bloomberg or, you know, some of these real crazy people on the left. I, I think they're just, um, you know, trying to maintain, def defend their companies from various attacks. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not I don't saying they're good people. That, Ed, because I think they've done a lot of damage to their, to their companies. And they're only relying on the fact that they're in bed with the government and the government's gonna protect them and the government's gonna prop them up and the government's gonna restore the value that's being destroyed. Because we all know on, you know, on this show and most of our listeners that our side is, is leaving social media companies in droves. And even insofar as we continue to use it, we don't use it the same way we once did. And we certainly don't advertise our businesses the way we did. And they've lost customers. The same thing with these other woke companies. I mean, I haven't gotten rid of my Facebook account, but my usage of Facebook is down maybe 90% since the January 6th uh, apocalypse. Right. Right. And I mean, I, I think that's true for all these companies. And I think, you know, I mean, Coke and Delta, Mike mentioned them a little while ago. I mean, they're getting a little bit of pushback, but I think in the end, they expect to be bailed out the way Walmart and Target and all the big box chains were bailed out by the, you know, by the, you know, by the lockdowns, and they, there's going to be state. They're counting on the government is going to is going to bail them out and pay them for all the losses that they subject because they're team players. Right now, they're taking one for the team, and the team's going to pay them back later. That's that's how what I. Loss? See. What losses well, I can, they had? I, mean, I can say is that Target that got uh, trashed now twice in Minneapolis. Yep. Um, has put that big. BLM mural on the side of it and I'm just I just can't wait till it's trashed the third time I really can't I just can't wait I will I will that I will play that video on a loop when it's trashed the, the third time and chuckle um, because that virtue signaling never works but again Ed, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what I don't know what bailout you're talking about because the bailout came when they shut down all the main street businesses that was their bailout right, and they're I think that they view, they think that the future is they're going to run the world. A few select, you know, a couple of hundred companies or, you know, however many it's going to be, they're going to be in bed with the government. They're going to have their revolving door employment opportunities. They're going to write the regulations that Ed is talking about. You know, they're going to be able to ban, not just, they're not just going to write speech codes for Facebook. They're going to write speech codes for, for all of Facebook's competitors. They're going to impose minimum wages, not just on Walmart, but on everybody else. And, and these big companies are going to be the ones who set those rules and decide and tell the government who's going to be basically like their little brother, what, what, what these businesses can, can absorb and what they can't absorb. And that's, that's the way that, that they're going to move forward. And they, they think they're going to monopolize the future. They're giving up a little bit of the present, but they think they're going to recoup all the losses they're making with all the virtue signaling that they're doing right now. I don't think it's just virtue signaling. I think it's an, it's an investment in control of the of the remaining apparatus of government. That's how I see it. I think that sounds accurate. 
Stunned silence. <laughs> We're all in agreement. We don't know what to say. No, I'm, I'm kind of trying to back away a little bit and absorb. You know, we're on for almost a year. And one of the things I think it's Ed M, you get the credit for this, is this weakening barricade or barrier between big business, big tech and government. And I think between the articles we're mentioning and, and all the things that are going on, the barrier is almost totally gone. And are enough people noticing it and understanding what the potential what that potentially means to the world. I think people are starting to notice it. Uh, that's what I was saying. I think that, you know, just Dinesh D'Souza coming to this conclusion and uh, uh, Daniel Greenfield, I think that they're starting to see it. And I think that people on the right are starting to see that maybe there's nothing left to conserve. There is no distinction between public and private. And that what's going on right now is that government power is being privatized and it's be, you know, these private corporations are in effect wielding government power and violating all the basic fundamental liberties that we thought we were setting up for ourselves in 1776 to 1789. And there's not a whole lot we can do about it under the current structure because the current structure does allow for private parties to do what they're going to do, but it doesn't contemplate private parties taking over the government, or, you know, getting in bed with the government and, and wrestling the, the power, the coercive power of government for private ends. That's, I mean, so, that's fascism. Historically speaking, is this, is what we're seeing today really sort of unprecedented? I, I mean, do we have it at all? I mean, we had an, an article in our show notes about the dual state in Nazi Germany. I think this is exactly no, what I, happened. I get that, but is that well, is it unprecedented wanna... in America? Well, okay, that, but is it? Do we really have? Is this not sort of a global phenomenon? Like at least in Germany, it was Germany, and the world is so different now with the global, na much more global nature of it. It seems bigger. And Absolutely not. It, no, in, 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 the governments in Europe are awful but they are in charge. It's not the same at all. That they're, okay, so in a lot of ways, the government- On top of that, Ed, let me just add, the whole purpose of antitrust, the antitrust laws were enacted because it was perceived that the robber barons, so-called robber barons, who we all know were, even though they were mostly not robber barons, they still, they amassed far more wealth as a percentage of the economy than big tech and and- Big business as today, you know, these big companies have today. Um, so it's not unprecedented even in American history, you know, and that was a response. You know, the antitrust laws were enacted for that purpose. I, I've most of, you know, I, I mostly don't approve of the antitrust laws, but I'm starting to appreciate a little more why they were enacted because there's really not a whole lot you can do when private parties are able to co opt the government. I mean, you need some tool to, to combat that. And that's what the antitrust laws were designed for. When you Seems have like a tiny drop of people in Congress starting to say, you know, we're not going to take money from big tech and from all these super companies. I think Heritage Foundation or somebody just came out and said they're not going to take money. But look, I don't know how you educate people. And, and what do you do about it? Because it's all kind of esoteric. 
Mm-hmm. It's not an elevator 30 second conversation to explain this to somebody what's going on. Well, I mean, I think a big part of it is our, our elected representatives need to have a little more moral certainty about opposing these people. I mean, you listen to even the best ones, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, they sound almost apologetic when they when they're opposing, uh, you know, big tech, you know, oh, this is this is not fair. And they're not, you know, they're, they're not acting in good faith. And and no, they're not. But it's almost whiny when I hear them. I mean, Matt Gates doesn't sound whiny. Um, I've never heard either Marjorie Taylor Greene or or Laurie Bopert speak, but at least their tweets and their Facebook postings have moral certainty and moral self-confidence. And that's that's really what's needed. It's not about, I mean, money is, is, is necessary, but that's really not the, that's not the real missing factor. The missing factor is somebody willing to stand up and say, these people are not just wrong, but they're enemies. And, you know, I mean, you know, not just that they're mistaken, not just that they're doing something, you know, not nice, but these are enemies and evil people and they need to be stopped. Okay, so, you know, that part of what you're saying is a sound bite and can be said to people with ADHD. But I think the whole no barrier between government and big business and why that is fascism, which you've tried for almost a year to explain to me, that doesn't lend itself to an ADHD soundbite. I don't think it's fascism at all. Fascism is, you know, everything in the state, for the state, by the state, or whatever Mussolini's quote is off the top of my head. But the truth of the matter is that um, in fascism, you have the appearance of private property, but the government controls everything. But in our system, we have the appearance of a public government, but in fact, um, the government is controlled by corporations. So it's, a, it's almost sort of a corpocracy, or it's an oligarchy as, you know, it's an oligarchy as uh, Cotevilla or, um, well, that's exactly how Italian fascism operated. What's that? That's how Italian fascism operated under Mussolini. There is the no, appearance of public government. There, there was no, um, there, there was no question that Mussolini wasn't in charge, though. I mean, nobody thinks Biden's in charge, least of all Biden. <laughs> True. That's a fair point. Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit more historical precedent than we're maybe lending all of this to. So you, most of you know me relatively well. Who do I blame specifically for every single existing problem in the United States, regardless of what it is? There's always one culprit, always. The answer is Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> because Abraham Lincoln ruined literally everything, always, forever. And so if you really want the first big moment where the government got in bed with big corporations, in 1862... Abraham Lincoln signed an act into place granting two railroads infinite land, loaning them infinite money to do something that he needed to get done. That's the beginning of big corporations getting in bed with big government is like every other problem that exists. Abraham Lincoln. God, I hope his corpse is rotting really, really horrifically somewhere. This is this has been going on for all of eternity. This is nothing new. It might be more overt now, but I don't think it's in any way, shape, or form new. That was the precedent 150 plus years ago. It's just going on and on and on. And now I do think that corporations have more of a say simply because they're worth so much money. The government needs them. But at the end of the day, 
Where in the Constitution does it say if your private company is failing, I can loan you $350 billion of tax money? It doesn't exist. It's never existed. But Lincoln did it first. I just want to put that out there. This problem, like all other problems, comes back to Abraham Lincoln. You know, it's, it's very funny you're bringing him up because on one of the podcasts I was listening to this morning, somebody was saying, someone was praising Lincoln as a forward-looking person who was a true leader because he had the vision to do exactly what you're blaming him for doing. And I think- No, he unquestionably did. Abraham Lincoln was the first total, absolute new age tyrant. He was 150 years ahead of his time. To me, the bottom line is the South South Carolina fired on Fort Sumter and they started a war and- Oh, well, that's, uh, we have to talk about the TikTok. Oh yeah, don't get me started on that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I will, here's how, here's where I will agree with you. I think that if you look back at the history of the Repub- of the Republican Party, I think it, the Republican Party has always been a, a pro big business in the fascist sense party. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that progressivism started in the Republican Party and that the early progressives were actually Republicans, not Democrats. And Democrats didn't really take over progressivism until Woodrow Wilson came along. Um, Howard, you know, William Howard Taft and Teddy Roosevelt, the two preceding Republican presidents were both major progressives by all the Republican congresses of the 1890s and early and 1900s were progressive in nature. Um, And so I think that this virus started in the Republican Party. I don't blame Lincoln per se. I think that Lincoln did what he needed to do to, to preserve the union. Did he do well, I agree with everything? That, that that's where we that's exactly where we all uh, veer off. Right. That's right. That, that's that's a third rail here that we don't believe the union should have been preserved because we don't believe it's an eternal, unbreakable, indivisible contract. The good news I don't, is I, I don't either, Steve, but the purpose, the reason that was attacked was to, to defend slavery. And I don't think that it was wrong. We don't believe that either. But we don't necessarily what? believe that part either. It but wasn't. in any case. And we, we don't find that burning down the South was a particular uh, Geneva Convention way to go. That's why we, we don't talk about Lincoln too much. Laser, I'll, I'll add one thing to what you said. It's not so much that they control unbelievable amounts of money. In history of the world, I don't know that they, anybody's ever been able to control information the way they can. Yes, there were always newspapers, somebody controlled it. But right now, they have no access to information if they want to cut it off. And that it's makes some them form of currency. Now. Information is the modern currency in the way that it matters more than money does because we just print all of our money anyway. It's not like we need to have the gold for stores. Money is meaningless because we just make it up. We don't even print it anymore. We just add some zeros on a single computer screen and boom, we can pass $2 trillion bills. Show me on paper where they printed the last three stimulus bills. Yeah. Ed, you're, you're Ed P. Yeah, Holly worked out the math. How long would it take to print a trillion dollars? In in it, actual dollars? Yes. It, it would take years. Years. I mean, you've seen the video, the graphic on it, right? No, that's why I'm asking you about the it. warehouses. It's all meaningless. You just add some zeros. Because we're no talking, I think, together with the budget, we're over 10 trillion already, and that's without yeah. AOC's suggestions just getting started because now it's so meaningless that first we needed the gold then we didn't need the gold then we don't need the paper we don't need the cotton we don't need anything literally one person logs into a computer adds 
37 zeros. And just like that, we pass a $2 trillion bill. That's all it takes. It's a dozen keystrokes and you quintuple the market cap of the dollar. It's, it's all well, that's not, um, that's not entirely true. It is true that being upper middle class, I have a, a four, big 401k and it uh, has gone up since the low last year to the, you know, this past weekend, it's gone up close to 100% in, in one year and two months. That's not how a normal economy functions. No, it's, it's impossible. I mean, it's, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's a zoo and we all get to live through it. Yeah. I always want to know what's the solution. So do we have some states? Maybe we can count them. DeSantis, should we all move to Florida? Who's going to be the barrier against it? What, you know? You know, I, I, do I don't think we can keep looking to one person. As I get that, but I'm like a state. State what? What states might have some leaders in them, with leadership that might create barriers, you know, to this craziness. <laughs> they seem few and far between. I mean, I guess you look you look at the Santas and you look down in Texas still. Um, you know, I know Christy Nome went off the reservation with the whole NCAA thing recently, but I don't think any of us would quibble about living in her state. Well, well, actually, I'm rooting for uh, Bruce Caitlyn Jenner to take over California. There you go. And now that he she has <laughs> the guts to take on the uh, transgender in sports, maybe he she will uh, have the guts to combat the rest of it. I don't know. Did you see Caitlyn's commercial that she put on uh, Facebook the other day or, uh, or YouTube? It was pretty good. Like our state is a shithole. Oh, I want to <laughs> see that. It's on YouTube. Yeah. I'm actually using that, that word. Yes. All right. Well, wait a minute. Didn't Trump get in trouble for calling other countries that? Exactly. Jody, I think the answer to your question, though, is is found in things like uh, that Board of Education meeting in Vail uh, last week, where the the local parents were so angry at the mask mandates that they stormed the meeting and they chased out the board and the board abdicated and they all created a quorum and they voted themselves in. Yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be legal action on it, but I think bottom line is I think the Sons of Liberty is really the 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 model, and it's going to have to be individual action at the lowest level of, of government possible, and we're going to have to light little brush fires all over the place. And yeah, so, Mike, and just my, to finish the thought, I think that's been the left's the the left's method is to make us defend every more things than we can defend. And exactly. if we're going to, if we're going to fight them, we have to do the same thing. We have to fight them at every town council, at every uh, local level of office, every sheriff's office, every, every office and, and more in the, in the, you know, forget about the big cities because we're not, you know, the, in terms of, you know, re return on investment, we're not going to win there, but we can win in, you know, in places like Virginia, or we can win in places like, uh, you know, North Carolina, where I am right now, you know, we can we can win in places that are sort of up for grabs where we even have a little bit of a a, a built in advantage. But we're not taking advantage of it. Our people are, are not showing up to these meetings and the left is taking over slowly by, you know, well, interestingly by enough, I think in some jurisdictions they are just like you mentioned in Vail. I think there are other places where that's happening 
And in yeah. some places, these boards and committees are actually fleeing, but going to another venue where they don't let the public in and then forcing the public to fight that. You know, there's an interesting battle that's going on in New Hampshire, and probably the law is pretty much the same, I would assume, in many states, that public meetings of the legislature have to be open to the public, and because of COVID, they're not, and they're also not in the state house. and there are some people arguing that, by definition, that makes every act they do null and void, but they get away with it. So there are more and more people chasing down legislators and chasing down committee people. I'll make two points here. One, for all of eternity and certainly of late, we have seen that if you use the words emergency powers, your entire argument ceases to exist instantly. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of it. Emergency powers mean the hell with literally everything anyone's ever put on paper ever. It's all meaningless and you're not, you're not going to win it in a fight because it's a crisis, it's a state of emergency, emergency powers, emergency executive powers, whatever they want to term it in whatever state and whomever's opening their mouth, it means that nothing you say matters. So A, I don't think anybody's going to win those. If it happens, it'll be one to blue moon. B, I think that in terms of those little fights, while I agree when I think past that, the question is who holds all the cards? And that is where I think that ends. So for example, Georgia can do some stuff. Now, let's say every single major airline stops flying into Atlanta, Georgia, which is currently the busiest airport in North America. It's the busiest airport this side of Tokyo. If everybody stops flying into Hart International Airfield, the state of Georgia loses infinite money instantly. Are we really far off from that? I don't think so. Are we far off from the NCAA, the NFL, the MLB, the NHL, all pulling their teams? I don't think so. How much revenue has to be choked out of it? And do we really think that these organizations will hesitate to do it? I don't think so. We know the Olympic committees will do it. We know the NCAA will happily do it. We know all-star games have been moved. Commemoration ceremonies have been moved. One or two more straws that break the camel's back. And the 10 largest organizations that contribute to the state's economy all vanish overnight. How long? I think can that'll, that'll red pill a lot of people, though. I agree. But at that point... You, you totally choke off that effort. And then you come back to little fires, but at best, we're now well, looking at a very, very long plan. You know, Laser, you're actually coming back to what we're talking about. It's interesting that when they fired on Fort Sumter, you needed a president to crush them. But if Georgia fires, you don't even need the government to president crush doesn't them. doesn't do anything because then well, Georgia will say it's Georgia. The NCAA says we're going to pull the All-Star game. So I think that goes back to our, our whole theme. Yeah. If it, the government isn't it's even control. needed, business does their dirty work. Yep. And that's, again, why this is also kind of scary. From a uh, national leadership perspective, Tom Wood said something very interesting the other day. He said that uh, you have to pick three topics to push if you're going to go into national leadership. Not any more than that. Um, uh, Trump, for instance, had trade and immigration and, and uh, you know, that's basically all I remember, trade and immigration. But Ron Paul in 2008, he picked three topics. He had the Fed, the stupid wars, or, you know, getting out of the stupid wars and, uh, you know, legalizing drugs. And the people weren't ready for the drug message and they weren't ready for the um, stupid wars message because uh, it was too soon after in 2008, too soon after 9-11. And we hadn't quite definitively screwed up beyond all recognition yet in, in Iraq and 
and Afghanistan. And of course, nobody cares about the Fed because nobody knows about the Fed. But I think that if I, I think that a, a conservative libertarian candidate in 2024 has one big issue, which is the branch Covidianism or the COVID totalitarianism or Fauciism um, to run against. And I think that would be an extremely powerful issue to run on. And, um, you know, the obvious uh, uh, big tech com corporations uh, running the country, that's a very populist thing, outsourcing that whole, that whole area. I think there's, if, if you get the right candidate running on the right issues, that, that is the issues where the oligarchy is so obviously against the people, then you have some a, a chance for a national leader to, um, to win. But if it's tax cuts and, um, you know, anti-abortion, you know, the usual Republican stuff, then, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially over. Yeah, I'm not that I'm against tax cuts or in favor, of, you know, but it's just yeah. how do you run to office? How do you run for office when you have no access to any information highway? That's yeah, you know exactly. You, you can be shut down as anything if you get big enough, and I don't know if that'll work. Also, Fauciism will be long over before 2024, and even if it ends the day before, the press will make like it never happened. So I don't think that'll be in the news cycle, whereas big tech, I think, will be. Well, I think, you know, Fauciism may go away before the 2022 election, um, just from the standpoint that if, if this continues, it looks like the Democrats are going to get creamed in the House. Um, so I, I don't know what's going to go on in the Senate. How are they going to justify mail-in voting if they end the mask mandates and the lockdowns? Yeah, exactly. So they're, the Democrats- oh, I have a perfect solution. Will. Perfect solution. A week before the election, they, they come will. up with another variant. Mm -hmm. Simple enough. Yeah, I mean, and and they're in a tough situation, right? As, as Ed had said, you know, they really would have liked to have gotten rid of Joe Biden early, but then they lose the Senate. And they would really like to get rid of the, you know, stupid COVID stuff, but then they can't justify all their emergency powers and spending. Um, they're They're kind of caught in a number of vices of their own making, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and in 2022, we'll probably be running against Kamala already. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, Steve. Well, I mean, I it, it's my fervent wish, although the Republicans in the Senate would betray us in 30 seconds. That, that's 100% true, yes. <laughs> but it's my fervent wish that uh, that uh, Kamala be elevated and Joe resign, but that's just to bring the Senate back into the Wait, why is that your wish? Well, then the Senate would be 50-50 with no vice president to break the tie. Could we have um, anybody watch The Voice? So, no. Wait one second. If I can cut off your voice thing. No, Ed, first let me say The Voice thing because I'll forget it. In The Voice, they have these battle rounds between two artists. Can you imagine a battle round with Hillary and Kamala in a cackle-off? That's all I want to say. <laughs> Go. God help us all. Uh, what if if we wind up with, okay, so we get a split Senate, great, stalemate. What is stopping sitting, acting now, real President Kamala Harris, from just signing an executive order saying I get to appoint the vice president? Bite me. Twenty fifth Amendment. 
So what? That's about as strong as the second and the first. And no amendments are absolute, Ed. The amendments mean nothing. Nothing means anything. Emergency order. There's an emergency. The whole Constitution's out the window. Everything COVID has violated everything. I don't think they're ready to go there. Maybe they would. Eventually they will. I don't think they're there yet. Mitt Romney would break the tie, so don't worry. Mitt Romney would what? He would break the tie. Yeah. (laughs) In the wrong You know, it's interesting. Cheney, it seems like she may actually go down. What do you guys think? Lynn Cheney, I believe Pelosi's calling. I think she's going to go down, but... In the primaries. No, no, there's supposedly going to be a vote again in a week to take her down, to take her out of the... From the leadership position. Right, that's what I'm talking about, which means she's... In. That I think no, I think can happen. I, I think she's she's going to do what Lisa Murkowski did in in, Al, in Alaska when uh, what was that guy's name? Uh, Joe Miller uh, beat him beat her in the primary, and then she went and made friends with all the Democrats and got the Democrats to vote her in as the independent. I think that she'll she'll make. I don't know if Wyoming will go for it. That would be interesting. Wyoming is honestly not likely to vote for an independent, even if they are. Wyoming is honestly, to to a fault, obsessed with the letter R, uh, at least in, in those terms. They will elect a Democrat governor, interestingly. Also, a Democrat governor is worth 500 Republicans out of anywhere in the East Coast, outside of Florida, or maybe Maine. But so far as their representation in the House and the Senate has been fully R for decades. Now, it's mostly been like the same three people for that long fake too. Are. But fake R. Oh, highly fake R. I mean, all three are garbage R's. All three of them are absolutely just ridiculously poor R's. But it's the letter R. So they'll take that poor R because I don't even think most of them follow politics or care to. They walk in, they look for the R, they check the box, they walk out. I don't even think half of them know or care. They are just going to always vote Republican. Getting an independent or even a libertarian vote, even though it's a very libertarian-minded state, every single person spoken to in the street is going to espouse libertarian opinions, and then every single one of them is going to walk in and vote for a fake R. That's just kind uh, of odd. Uh, it's interesting when you talk about the battle of the soul for the Republican Party, uh, the Cheney thing, and Mitt Romney getting booed off stage. In, in that Utah. was so awesome. Uh, oh, I, my God. A couple of slight glimmers, rays of hope there, perhaps. And then that idiot who gets up there and says, be respectful? (laughs) Oh, my Lord. And by the way, Ed, I think that's part of what we're saying is we need people to do that. I thought that was awesome to boo a senator. Who says otherwise? I'm saying nobody. I think that's fantastic. That was the most uplifting thing in a long time. (laughs) No, because that's what you need. We, the people, stop with this clapping for people because they ran for Senate and won. Let's tell them what we really think. That was absolutely awesome. Which reminds me what Lynn Cheney, what Liz Cheney will do. She'll move to a different state. That's all. What's the difference? She'll, she'll be a Yankees fan, like another uh, carpetbagger. So even if it's, you know, little fires here and there, you have to find where there's a group of we, the people willing to stand up. I mean, it can't be one person, obviously. They will take down people quickly and easily. Okay, well, yeah. that, that's my, uh, my thing that I always argue. They have to be concentrated. Uh, look, I mean, it's not like there haven't been efforts 
toward that end before for citizen right. citizen watchdogs. I mean, you know, we look at James O'Keefe and what he does, and you know, he's obviously the the poster child of that. But it, it's hard to have that at the local level. You know what I mean? Again, it, even when I started blogging over ten years ago, there was a, an effort to have that going on. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. on the ground all the time and eyes watching everything. I, so I think you have to be more strategic and tactical in terms of picking your spots and, and where you can do things. Oh, that sounds, it sounds like something I wrote like eight years ago, right, Laser? You got to be concentrated and you got to be targeted because you can't win them all. That, that happens to be one of the things I love about New Hampshire. And it's funny because in the several conversations I had with people in New Hampshire who are super active in politics, the theme of if we had a Democrat governor right now, we'd be in much better shape was unanimous. Oh, my gosh. And that's so sad in and of itself. And the theme of Sununa was awesome until COVID and then just became a totally different human being. But New Hampshire is a place where you have an amazing amount of grassroots people who literally go out and shout people down and aren't cowed. And all of them are armed. And it's I don't think that's unique to New Hampshire, though. I mean, I think that's a Republican fault line. I think the Republicans do much better in the in the minority. I mean, look at look at even the COVID bills that they all they all voted for under Trump, and yeah, all of a sudden Biden becomes president, and they're worried about spending. I yeah, mean, that's what Daniel Horowitz yells about. How dare you argue against the yeah. bill that you supported? Outrageous. No, what I'm saying what's different about New Hampshire is there's a certain, um, I don't know how you say it, uh, just, I don't know if proletariat's the right word, just the regular folks are relatively likely to go to the state house and demonstrate, whereas in a lot of states, there's a certain thing missing. Maybe you just can't get into the state house. And in New Hampshire, you just literally walk in, they don't even ask you if you have a gun on your, on your hip. So I'm sure there are a few other states like that, but you know, Texas obviously can't be because you're you know, 14,000 miles away from the state capital. And Wyoming, you're like 8,000 miles from the state capital. In New Hampshire, there's a kind of grassroots that isn't afraid to take things on. Unfortunately, there's also a bunch of uh, Taxachusetts uh, refugees that screw up the state. But I think that spirit of not being afraid to go out, demonstrate, shout down is what we need. And that's what we need targeted and concentrated. I think I'll speak to at least theoretically what what I believe is probably the primary reason for that in New Hampshire specifically is the sheer size of their legislature. Legislators in New Hampshire are the cashiers in your grocery store. They're not seen as some sort of deities who have to be feared or shied away from. They're literally your neighbor who won't give back your damn lawnmower and you're going to go yell at him because you're sick of his BS. Melissa told me yesterday she was talking to a legislator, I think from Wisconsin, I can't remember. And he said, and how many people do you represent? And she said about 3,500. And he said, I represent like 200,000. Yep. (laughs) Yes, that that is a very big. You cannot speak to the guy who represents 200,000. The guy who represents 3,500, you ran into him twice at the bar last week. You walk over, (laughs) you knock on his door and you yell in his face. It's different. Right. And that that keeps an atmosphere of not being so intimidated. Yeah, there's an atmosphere of actual equality. They remain yeah, of equality. And getting paid $100 a year helps. That helps. So those are those advantages. Now, everybody understand why state capitals are never in the place where people live? 
a lot of them were placed there a very, very long time ago and were just never moved. So cities well, they were placed there to keep away from the commercial interests in the big cities, right? Albany or Harrisburg or uh, Trenton instead of New York or Philadelphia. Is that um, why or was it just there was a certain some of them, but like Denver is the big city because Denver was the city at the time. That's where the people lived. Boston at the time is where the people lived. A lot of them are were placed a long time ago or just when statehood was made statehood. I mean, why in the heck is Florida government in Tallahassee, eight hours from nowhere? Don't know. I'm sure Disney will pay to move it to Disney. <laughs> You're welcome to live in Trenton. I'll, I'll pass. No, if Disney, if Disney does that, they'll have to shut it down for COVID, won't they? I sort of lived in Trenton for like six years. So. My condolences. <laughs> I don't. I didn't think any area in Trenton was livable, but shows what I know. All right, we're going to wrap up in a timely fashion today. So let's give everybody a couple minutes to complain about what they didn't get to talk about. I only say complain because our fearless leader has a PhD in complaining. We'll leave it at that. All right. Well, I'll I'll get a start because over here it's after midnight, so I need some bed before work in the morning. The one piece that I didn't get to talk about was I would have loved to sit here and argue the constitutionality of the existence of the FBI in the first place. Where in the Constitution does it grant a federal active law enforcement agency that is not just a judge, it is not just even a jury. They are the judge, the jury, very often the executioner. They have access to absolutely everything. They do most of what they do behind closed doors. They when they do release things, most of the time it's dear redacted, 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 sincerely redacted. And it stays that way for 45 years. Where is the justification for it in the first place? Dinesh D'Souza is arguing that now we have to shut down the FBI. I say we have to shut down the FBI on day two because who the hell gave up that? And even when they were created in the 20th century, oh my, how did we survive as a United States of America before the FBI if it's so necessary? Well, turns out it's not. And even when it was created, it was created as an investigative agency. Their job was to collect information and then give it to somebody who could do something with it. Nowadays, the FBI is the investigative agency. They're also the prosecutor, sort of, in a lot of ways and often directly. They're also the one sending in the HRT teams with snipers to actually shoot people instead of relegating that to sheriffs or local law enforcement. I say we should have shut down the FBI in 1908. That's my two cents. Somebody going to argue against that? I don't think First of all, there was a damn good TV show that we got out of it. I mean, for us old folks. Was the FBI even in existence in 1908? I believe that is the year it came into existence. I could be wrong, but I believe the Bureau of Investigation. Bureau of the Fed? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was because of the mafia. Isn't that what started it? No, no. I always thought it was prohibition, but that would be like 10 years later. Yeah. Ooh, this is a good thing for us to learn. Yeah. I, mean, I could be wrong. Don't. I think it was 1908. Somebody Google it. <laughs> no. And the original, uh, you know, the original cops of the feds were the U.S. Marshal Service. Right. And they did a, a fine. They did a fine job. Um, so yeah, I certainly agree with uh, Laser on that one. But what about my TV show? What was what your TV, TV show? show? All of us are really Come old. on. Am I the only one here who remembers the FBI with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr.? Oh, yeah. Come on. Ephraim Zimbalist? Was he born in the fourth century? Ephraim Zimbalist? Wasn't that his name? Come on, guys. Back me up here. 
That's his name. I think he was a Byzantine emperor, Ephraim Zimbalis. And some people say that was just a paid commercial for the FBI, but it wasn't a bad show. Junior. Ephraim Zimbalis Junior. Yeah, I remember that Junior. one. Two of them. Anyway. Where can I watch this? On, on a cave drawing? Me TV, I suppose. <laughs> According to Wikipedia and Google, the FBI was established July 26, 1908. So kudos, Blazer. I remember ah. something from the school I keep dropping out of. The um, laser brings up an interesting point, you know, on, on TV or Steve did, you know, on TV, we get nothing but cop shows, which glorify cops. We get lawyer shows, which glorify lawyers, and we get medical shows that uh, glorify doctors. Now, we all know that the largest uh, cause of death in the United States behind cancer and heart disease is medical mistakes. So we put the doctors over there. Um, Besides our distinguished colleague here, I haven't had a terribly good experience with lawyers in my life as a general rule. And I think we all agree that the police need reform. So uh, I do think that the, what's on television is nothing but propaganda and the FBI was, and the military too, by the way, uh, are engaged in paying for television shows uh, in, or loaning out government resources to be used in television shows. Um, to uh, assert, you know, pro police or military or um, uh, uh, viewpoints, and it's just uh, it's just out and out propaganda. And the shows yeah. might be good, but it's still propaganda. Propaganda shows can yeah. be good. So, are you yeah. arguing that not all doctors look like Chad Everett? <laughs> yes, McDreamy or McSteamy or Mc. Disappointing a lot of, uh, I was going to say women, but I can't say that. You're disappointing a lot of people. I'm afraid so. <laughs> okay, Ed P., your, your uh, parting words for today. Uh, I, that was my parting words. So. That was. Okay, Jody. Jude, I was just going to say something in response to that, other than, you know, I married one of the McDreamies, correct? We all know that, right? Um, and you're still married. No. Oh, happily joyously blissfully um no but you know ed p you bring up the media that's been my beef all along where has the right been on investing in that avenue into the minds of the people derelict where has the right been now in the encroaching okay investment in the avenue to the economics of the people there we've been asleep at the wheel for a very long time and so here we are still what do we do we are constantly on defense and the left is so good at keeping us so laser focused on defending ourselves so they never have to defend themselves. So uh, that's my, my closing was more of a rant, but I do still want to kind of want to talk about what we kind of brought up weeks ago of should we get off social media or shouldn't we is it a good idea or isn't and what are the pros and cons of both sides i still want to talk about that okay so i, I still have it written down to talk about mike that's right a lot to add i mean one thing when we talk about lincoln and trying to pinpoint when things went wrong so to speak it's probably gone wrong since the moment the ink was dry on the constitution i mean even madison wanted a, a national bank i mean there's there's been usurpations and incrementalism from day one, probably. Um, 
But other other than that, I would say I want to feel smart, so maybe I'll invite Laser to play the uh, Baby Boomer edition of Trivial Pursuit one night. <laughs> I know Matlock was popular, and I know my mash stuff. Otherwise, I'm going to be useless. <laughs> well, Mike, just you know, responding to what you just said, I think that people even accused Washington of breaking the Constitution when he put down Shea's Rebellion. So... Or I mean, the First National Bank, or paying the debts of the states. Or well, yeah. Um, all Hamilton's ideas, by the way, all three of them. I was about to say, thank Hamilton, that <laughs> last one for sure. Maybe he was really, you know, the beginning of the end. Hamilton himself. Yeah, great musical, great. not so good guy. <laughs> well, Terrible in the duel, too, from what I hear. Yeah. Let Ed finish. As far as you know, closing thought. I guess I guess for me, it's a it's a little bit of an obscure story. We've alluded to it a few times in the past, but I'll, I'm seeing more and more mention about the Olympics. And I know the Tokyo Olympics are coming up this summer, and the Beijing Olympics for the Winter Olympics are coming up next winter. And the thing I keep seeing is people on the right, in particular, are are, are framing the question of whether our participation should should be is justified based on how the Uyghurs, the Uyghur Muslims are being treated by the Chinese communists. And it's a real pet peeve of mine every time I see that. To me, those are two enemies. The communists and the Muslims are both enemies of the United States. And insofar as they kill each other or, or do any bad things to each other, it just doesn't bother me. We should object to the way the Chinese Communist Party treats its own citizens, the way it treats its Hong Kong, the Hong Kong citizens, the way it's threatening Taiwan. There, there are lots of reasons to be opposed to the Chinese communists, uh, also including the way they are, you know, we talked about big tech censorship. Where is it coming from? It's coming from free trade with China, where these companies go over to China and perfect censorship techniques. That's where they're perfecting it. The Chinese government gives them a vehicle to try out every single kind of censorship technique that they could ever want. And they're able to perfect those methods over in China. And then they bring that knowledge back over here and they use it here as private companies. So those are the reasons why I don't think we should be participating in a Chinese Olympics. Those are the reasons why I don't think that we should be having dealings with China and we should be disentangling with China. It just pisses me off every time I see a, a conservative writer explain that you know, what's going on to the Muslim Uyghurs is, is so awful and so evil that that's the reason we need to disengage from China. No, that's like number 100 on the list for me, if it's even on the list at all. Uh, big tech censorship is, is probably the number one reason. Uh, intellectual property theft is, is probably number two. Um, and if I'm going to talk about human rights, I'm going to talk about, like I said, Hong Kong and Taiwan, not- Military threat Muslims. to the United States is number one on my list. Okay. What'd you say? Military threat to the United States is number one on my list. Hey, can I just say I have I have Muslim neighbors that I love. I don't. I just want to suggest maybe we don't lump them all together. Okay. I'm just putting that out there. Okay, that's a that's a topic maybe we can talk about next week or, or in coming weeks. Sure. Like, I don't like it when people take bad Christians and say all Christians are bad. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. I'll hold back with, I'll hold back with my thought. And I'll let us get
get into that in a future show. <laughs> okay. Ed, uh, I really, really hate to say this to you because it's going to bring up negative things probably, but maybe you should write an article about that. <laughs> no, I'm serious. What you're saying about China, and even if it's in the form of a letter to the editor and, and we publish it or whoever else we can get to publish it, because you're making a great point that they're making this tiny argument and you have a whole bunch of other better arguments. And if nobody else is saying it, then maybe we should write that up and try to get it into a few places. So okay. and forgive, forgive the illusion. So Nothing to forgive. With that, we will wrap it up for today. Um, as always, we'll be up as, on uh, Rumble, iTunes, SoundCloud, etc. within about an hour. And please send us your comments, thoughts, feedback to ejsshow at protonmail.com. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful evening.